And we're off. Surprise. That was quick. That was quick. It wasn't I wasn't ready for it. Came out the gates. <clears throat> How goes it? Good afternoon. <laughs> Denver. That's right. I still need to watch that movie. I actually don't know if it's good. You know how like it is amazing that movie quality has improved with time. That's right. It seems. Some of them at least. You mean production quality or content? Both and, I think, sometimes. Yeah. Not content, though, actually. Okay. I should go back to that. Yeah, I should, I should qualify that. So all I'm saying is some movies don't hold up. You thought they were good when you were a kid. So I haven't seen that in a long time, so I don't know if it's actually good. When you I was know, a kid, I thought it was good. I did, and we've definitely talked about this, but I did watch recently Mrs. Doubtfire. Phenomenal. Yes. Did it hold up? Oh, that was awesome. Good. Yeah. Yep. Good old Robin Williams. Yeah, because I I do want to say a lot of modern movies, they have production. We all know this. They have great production, but sometimes they're like, that was had no content whatsoever. That's right. uh, Yeah. Anyways, that's that's to be a whole nother rabbit hole that we'll save people from. Uh, Because now I can't remember the title of the movie. Anyways, shout outs for us. Wait, the time out. Traveling of the Sisterhood. Pants or whatever. Yeah. Still held up. You love that. I walked, I, I walked I in the companions were watching that. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Why do I feel like I could see Father Mike rap knowing and watching that movie? I could see it. I could see it. He's. I feel like he's more the like, he would be like, hey, do you know this obscure French film? It's awesome. Totally. You know? I could see Father Jason Wunsch watching the Sisterhood of Traveling Yaha Pants. In Spanish. I don't think he watches anything, though. He Except he watches sports scores, but that's about it. That's right. Arsenal, and then just bike rides for 18 hours in one day. Yes. Uh, Speaking of, though, I don't know if we talked about it. I don't think so. But uh, shout out to my former college roommate, Mike Lazari, and Father Mike's sister, Marsha, who are engaged. Oh, congrats. Yeah. Marcia, cool. I don't know Mike, but I do know Marcia. That's awesome. I didn't know that. Yeah, so Mike Lazari, great guy, great Catholic family. He's from, um, he's about my age, a little younger. He's probably 40 now. Great guy. And he's, he's one of those guys who's been, he's been ready to be married since he was like eight years old. <laughs> and so he's, it's, it's been ironic that he's not married yet, but I'm, it was worth the wait and uh, blessings to the two of them. And it's one of the only times one of my good friends from my past, who's Catholic, that I'm not going to do the wedding because he's marrying a girl who has a brother who's a priest. That's right. So Father Mike, a hex upon you. Just kidding. Be kind of cool if you like stepped in, just punked him. I totally should. I could show up. Maybe he'll grow a rat tail and I could like (laughs) yank him by the rat tail. That's right. Just show up and step in when it's time for the homily. Well, and I don't even, I don't think I can make the wedding because Father Mike was telling me the date and... I think I already have a wedding at the same time. Shocker. Shocker. You have a wedding. If anyone's trying to book a wedding with you right now, game over. Winter, you have a wedding every... There's a lot of weddings. It's so crazy. So. <sighs> Anyways. Everybody pray for the... When this comes out, will be uh, the marriage prep retreat is this weekend. That's right. So <clears throat> we have about 30 couples or so on this retreat, so pray for them. Uh, pray for their conversion and for... Good and healthy marriages. That's right. In Boulder for some, if not all of it. Saturdays in Boulder, Friday nights uh, That's right. here at Lourdes. That's right. I know. Steph and I want to try to make it up there. We want to do mass up there with you guys, but it's late. And we got a little jeej. Yeah. Gosh. You should come. It'd be fun. I know. We want to stop. I mean, we would love to be there. Probably the midday portion. Um, little Gianna getting teeth like crazy. It's unreal. For her. It's it's nuts. Now, uh, now I got to figure out when you start like actually brushing those things. I have no idea. Why do I feel like Steph will just know that? She will. She's, she's all over it. Oh, shout out Steph. That's my shout out today is my wife. I was kind of struggling on who else to do. So when in doubt, do Steph. She's, it's, she is a winning person. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Who do you got? Didn't I just do one? Oh, uh, well, sort of. Mike and Marsha. Also, a teacher down at South Campus. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I saw her, I saw her yesterday. She's like all-time. Kristen Yenif. Third grade teacher. 
Kristen. She awesome. listens. She is a gem. We love Kristen. I do you know the story? You might, but <clears throat> if you don't know this, I I feel like part of my job in the school is to make when I when I first got to Lords. Let me say it this way. You hear all the stories from my parents' generation about how scared they were of priests and nuns and how awful they were. Yep. And so one of my big goals has always been my kids are not going to be scared of me. Yeah. They're going to love me and I'm going to make sure that they're not, you know, oh, that priest when I was a kid, he was awful and everybody was scared of him and he was super strict and this would smack us in the back of the head or something. <laughs> so what I do, though, ironically, is I walk into classrooms and I yell and scare them, and but they really but, but they love it. But the story is last year, I think it was, maybe it was two years ago. I think it was last year though. Uh, Kristen Yanif, her class, they were taunting me. They were taunting the priest, and they're like, "Oh, because they, they were upstairs, they're up on the second floor." Yep. So they could hear me scaring the other classes. That's right. So they would always tell me, "There's no way you can ever scare us." So they just kept taunting and taunting. So being the, the priest I am, uh, one day I snuck out of mass, ran over to the school before the kids could get there and hid in Miss Yanif's closet. What? Yeah, I did. Okay. I've not heard you this. You heard this? No. Oh, it was great. It was glorious. So I waited for all of them and they just kind of came in like it was, and they had no idea it was there. And I hid in her closet and they got all situated and I waited for them to kind of get situated. Then I jumped out of the closet and scared them and she... Almost died. That is awesome. I <laughs> never like heard jumped, this. Oh yeah, she like jumped through the roof. Because yeah. I was going to say, as you were saying that, I mean, that's always it's the first class when you go in and and do your yes. Um, I yelled yes. I can't do it on the podcast. I know it'll hurt you. <laughs> but it's hysterical, and it gets everyone, and all the kids get fired up. Um, you are like the local celebrity walking around campus. But then after the first class, everyone knows you're coming and you'll work yeah. your way down the hall. So it always is that like first one that you get hardcore. Right. So that all the kids scream and yeah. so their other classrooms can hear them. It's the best thing of all time. And then it's always like when you do that and then we'll go in and when I'm walking around with you and you're like, and do you guys remember uh, Mr. Patrick? And everyone's like, no. <laughs> I used to skip, we had one of our teachers who moved on. She moved out to the East Coast. She's married now. <clears throat> I forget her married name, but Mary DeFilippis, who we just love. We, I love Mary. She's awesome. She had her classroom arranged in such a way that her, she could never see the door. Ooh. So a lot of the other teachers, when I come in and yell, they see me coming. Yeah. But her classroom, now that classroom has been rearranged. But uh, back then it wasn't, and so I would scare her every time, and the kids loved it. And so they'd always be like, Father Brian, can you come scare Miss D, Miss D Philippus? I'm like, yeah, 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 yada, yada, yada. Leave me alone, kid. Yep. Yeah. And then you get them. And then I would. It's the best. We need to record that and actually put that out there. You also, would you a shout out to Patrick Devaney? Oh. You had a birthday. Hi. Oh, I did. That's right. How's your birthday? It was the best. Um, it was super relaxing. Steph surprised me. I knew we were going somewhere. Um, this is actually hysterical. I knew we were going to go somewhere, but I, I didn't know where. And then the day we were leaving, she's like, okay, we'll put in the map and we're going to Grand Lake. And Grand Lake is one of like Steph's favorite spots of all time. So I gave her a hard time because I was like, It Great. is a beautiful place. It is. Um, I went over there for the first time like like a, last summer in a long time. It had been a long time previous and it's really pretty. So let me ask you this because you've actually been to the other spot. I'm used to growing up. I mean, I was born there, went there every weekend, stepped out with a ski patroller, Lake Tahoe, right? Mm. So in my mind, when I think of a lake, lake in yeah. the mountains, I think of Lake Tahoe. Yeah. And then when I get to Grand Lake, everyone's hyped it up. And, and we, we went there in the summer um, twice now. But it's been hyped up. And then I got there, and I was like, what is this pond? Yeah, like, it's not very big. <laughs> I do think it's beautiful, though. It is gorgeous. The thing about Tahoe, Tahoe is beautiful. I, Mary gives me grief because Mary and Morgan and I were there. And it was not very – the weather wasn't good when we were there. Mm. And so I was 
I was like, yeah, it's, I guess it's pretty, but it did, I wasn't that impressed. And so yeah. they, they claim I just, it was a bad time for me to go. But. Yeah. When you're there on a clear day and you just see the mountains among the, like true mountains on like Grand Lake, among the lake and the lake no, is no, gigantic. No, hold the, hold the phone. Grand Lake is like right next to Rocky Mountain National Park. It is. But when you're at the lake, you're looking at like rolling hills. Uh, more than rolling hills. It is. No, no, more no. Than we have hills. to go and I'm going to show you. You're out of your mind. It is. It is no Lake Tahoe. But and anyways. Did you, but did you take, did you take the pass? Birthage or whatever Road. it's called? No, it's closed right oh, now. Yes, it right, doesn't Tahoe. open up yet. Have you, have you driven Trail Ridge Road? We have. As you say, you want uh, to that is phenomenal. Mountains. That's right. Yeah. That is phenomenal. That's what I did the last time I was there is we went to Grand Lake and then we drove over Trail Ridge Road. It's yes, that is gorgeous. Instead, this time it started snowing on Berthed Pass or whatever it's called. And that was the sketchiest thing of all time. It, if it was just me, fine. If it's me and Steph, little less Pretty fine. Good. But now I have a baby in the back seat, and I have someone tailgating me down the hill. Do you have one of those snow. baby on board stickers? No, oh. Steph's car. I did on. My, I do on my car. Steph's um, car doesn't. The magnet won't stick to that. Stupid like the outside. Cars. Yeah. So it's really frustrating. Anyway, so we went up there. It was awesome. Super relaxing. Half the town was like shut down just because it's such a summer. It is touristy a summer deal. Kind of place. Yeah. So a lot of places were open on Saturday and Sunday, but not Friday or any of that. So it was just super relaxing and cool. a good time. Yeah. So, and it was fun to just kind of spend the weekend happy, with Jonah. Happy 50th. That's, That's right. Thank you so much. It's good. <laughs> it feels that way. Yeah. Um, so actually that's a good segue. It is birthday kind of a good segue. and gifts. Happy birthday to the ground. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And receiving gifts. Receiving gifts. Here we are. You finished, shocker, you finished another book. Well, this one's a while back, but yeah. And it's gigantic. How many pages you got in that thing? Let's look. And so, who wrote it? Um, uh, it's a guy named John Barclay. It's called Paul and the Gift. And it's... Um, <laughs> that's, that's really funny. This is me and my experience of reading. You're going... You're excluding the appendix. Yeah. And when I read, when I look at a book, <laughs> I take the last page. I That's include awesome. the, uh, the, appendix. the appendix. So without the appendix, it's 582. And that's horrible. Look, at that chunk of the, of the appendix right there had to be at least 80 pages. I mean, I don't know if it's 80, but... That was like, a lot. Maybe whatever. That's a deep read. Okay. It was, it was a great book. Paul and the Gift. What is that? Truly, what is that? Yeah, so today what we want to do is we want to talk a little bit about gift giving. Uh, We'll see where it goes, but even just on a human level, but then what this book really did is it, um, the word, another word for gift in Greek is a word that you and I think of as grace. Oh gosh, not this again. Uh, (laughs) No, you don't have to know the Greek word. Oh. I'm just saying grace. Oh, good. Okay. So the, the what word, was, but we've talked, what, what is the actual word? Uh, in Greek, the word is charis. We have talked about that. So charis means, oh, I don't remember, but charis means uh, gift or grace or favor. Okay. Yep. And so this book that I read a while back, but I taught on it this morning. I taught, uh, shout out to Father John Neppel. He invites me once a year to <clears throat> come teach in the seminary. And so today he had his uh, anthropology and eschatology class. And I think that's the two parts of it. But anyway, he asked me to come talk on justification. And so I taught this morning for 50 minutes on one of the most important topics in Christian theology for 50 minutes, which is completely... Explain justification. Really? Like not, not the, now like the one, the one, <laughs> the one sentence. What does that mean? Like you spoke on... Justification is the question of... There's two ways you can kind of say it. Justification is how do we become just in the eyes of God? How does God perceive us as just? The more common way people kind of phrase it is how is a person saved? Got it. Yeah, that's deep. Good luck in 50 minutes, huh? Yeah, it's just a lot. And luckily, I mean, seminarians, they they at least hopefully know the basics yeah. of some of this stuff, but trying to take them to the next level. Totally. Um, wait, going back really quick. How would you say in Greek... The gift of grace. 
Uh, that's a good question. Karos of Karos. So there's, so there's another word for gift, which is um, Dorian in Greek. And so it could be Dorian, uh, it would be um, Karitu. Oof. Dorian Karitu. Okay. Okay, so you did justification. Did justification. I mean, I didn't do it, but I Correct. taught about you it. You taught it. Yeah. Yeah. So little little funny joke there. <laughs> I didn't justify. But yeah. So I taught that and um so the big question today, so what we want to talk with you all about is is gift giving and receiving. And this has massive implications for how we understand justification and how is a person saved. Um but uh we want to talk about gifts. And so uh when you think of gifts, I wanna talk about just on the natural level today. Yeah. How do you uh what makes a good gift? What makes a bad gift? Uh, are you a good gift giver? I like to think so. I I try to think of the things like, okay, here was an, yeah, well, I don't want this to come across as I'm bragging, but um, there was one point where you had that really, I think Mary got it for you, the really rad pasta bowl that yes. was super old, um, I yeah. forget the name of it. And then one day it broke. That's right. And then like your birthday was eight months later and I replaced the bowl. That was pretty cool. And so in my mind, I try to do that kind of stuff. Like I think yeah. of like the obscure thing that happened or, or something like in passing. And then like Steph will just say something random and then I'll just bookshelf it for yeah. months as opposed to like, oh, here's this standard thing again. Um, but then the question bags, what type of expectation does that lead to? Yeah. And that's where we want to, I love that you just said that. That's great. <clears throat> yeah. The, and this is what I want to talk about today. And this is what this book is about in a lot of ways is, um, we have developed this idea in the West. So Tim Gray, sometimes will talk about the casserole debt. <laughs> what is that? I love that phrase, the casserole debt. Yeah. Excuse me. This is, so this is the idea that so your neighbor comes over and bakes you a casserole. I don't know if that's a generational thing. In fact, I'm not even sure if I know what a casserole is. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Yeah. I, yeah, I would, I would have no idea what that was I mean, I when they dropped that When I think of a casserole, I would think of like some kind of baked egg dish kind of thing, like an egg bake type of thing. Yeah. But maybe it has a, a pastry covering. Here we go. We're going to show up next week and someone is going to, they're going to be like eight people that drop off casseroles for you. Well, but anyway, so to Tim Gray, we'll talk about the casserole debt where sometimes if you get a gift from somebody, you actually don't want a gift from them Yep. because, oh crap. Now it means I have to, now I have to get, now I've got to get them a casserole. That's right. And, and so you incur a casserole debt, right? And that's really funny. Isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And so you're just thinking like, oh, and you go to somebody's house and you're like, oh crap. Or maybe like you have like dinner and you're going to dinner and somebody invites you over. And maybe you think, oh, they came to our house for dinner and they brought a bottle of wine. Was it an $8 bottle of wine totally. or was it like a $30 bottle of yep. wine? And like, crap, if we bring back the $8 bottle of wine and they brought a 30, man, but if we bring a 30 and they only brought an eight, then we just up the ante. Right. That's right. Yeah. It's actually funny you said that too. I'm going to remove the name just because it, whatever. We'll call him uh, Larkin B. There B. it is. B. Larkin. Or wait, there's, this is a Simpsons reference. There's this old Simpsons where somebody does that and they say, you know, they're like, someone, we don't, we don't, we, we don't want to kind of disclose their name. Let's just call them Bart S. Bart <laughs> S. Or wait, that's too. And he goes, no, wait, that's too easy. Uh, how about B. Simpson? B. <laughs> Simpson. <laughs> that I don't remember that one. Yeah, it's Sim something. Like I, that. Yeah, I, I did watch a lot of it. But removing that one, it was funny. We went to dinner recently, and somebody at the gala bought a really nice bottle of wine, like yep. extremely nice. It was like a five hundred dollar bottle of wine. And wow, that's, that's a, are, do you ever, when, if someone buys, sorry to interrupt, no. but I feel like if someone does that, whenever I take a sip of wine, if there's a, that expensive a bottle of wine, which I, I don't think I've ever had a $500 bottle of wine, but you kind of feel like it's, if it's like a $90, I think I've had like a $90 yeah. bottle of wine before. I feel like every sip you take, you're like eight bucks, 
That's right. What's, was that was that sip worth eight dollars? That's right. That a hundred percent. I can have a whole bottle for eight dollars. Yep. Rex Goliath. Yeah. That was the go-to for a while ago. That was. But it was funny because naturally when you go to someone's house, that is my go-to. Like I will pick up a bottle of wine and bring it over. Yeah. But instead I was bringing over that bottle of wine from the gala and the, the comment before him was like, we're going to open it up. We're going to, I'm just, we're going to enjoy it. And I was like, you sure you want to use that on Steph and myself? <laughs> like that's aggressive. And I'm on the way over there and I was like, I have no idea what to get him. Like, I was like, Steph, should we pick up a bottle of wine? Like, she's like, right. why, why would you do that? Like, we're bringing his. So it was a really interesting kind of thing where yeah. it was like, I am supposed to bring something over there just as an expectation. Like, that is the thing to do. So I had to pick up flowers. That's a good substitute. I like that. Yeah. It was kind of a, another safe play. But again, I didn't know how to do that. But I do love the casserole scenario. And one, the perspective of a neighbor, and then two, like even, I joked about it just a minute ago, but like when Steph was like, okay, we're going to Grand Lake. And I was like, for me, in my mind, when I try to think of something really particular, I joked for Steph, but I also don't know if I was actually joking. I was like, Steph, you love Grand Lake. I don't really love Grand yes. Lake. This is a gift for you yep. more than it is me. Time. Like if you know me, I would not pick Grand Lake on like an ideal vacation. I don't know where... I, you know, I would have said like the beach somewhere, Yep. which was kind of Steph's intent. And I understand, but it was really funny, but that is a, a real thing. Yeah. And so the, this is really pertinent to theology actually. And it's, this is fascinating. This book is, it is a, it's not the most dense book, honestly. It's, it really isn't, but it's, but it is a scholarly book and it's probably not one that a lot of people out there are going to read, but it's a great book. I really Loved it. But what he does is he traces the way that we think about gift giving in the modern world and the way that we impose that when we read the Bible. And in the Whoa. And so so when we read Paul talking about the free gift um that God gives to us in grace or in his son, uh <clears throat> we we can tend to use our modern ideas about what a gift is that are actually, and what he shows is it's really different from what they thought in the ancient world. And so that forces us sometimes to read the Bible incorrectly. Uh, What? How did they think about gifts back then? So we're going to get to that. That's today's podcast. That's deep. Because I was going to ask you, what was the, like in reference to the So you think of like, I mean, you even think of like Romans chapter five, where St. Paul will talk about uh, Adam and Jesus and he, that's where we, he talks about original sin, but he'll say like, um, I'll talk about how, you know, as one man sinned, so death spread to all men insofar as all men sinned. Um, and he kind of will talk about Adam and original sin and how sin spreads to everybody. And then he'll say, but the free gift is not like the trespass for if by one man's trespass, many were made sinners, uh, much more will the free gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ abound for the many. That's not exact. I was going to ask This you is off my memory right now. I don't have my Bible. I don't know where I, I... I left my bag somewhere. But anyway, so there's... I think it's out in the other room. But you can hear Paul's... He's using Dorian the, for gift and then uh, Caris grace, which can mean grace or favor or gift. Uh, he's using all these this language in there. And then he says it's free. Right. Well, he, well, and here's like a simple question. It sounds like a simple question, but what does it mean for a gift to be free? And especially when God gives it. And so when, when Paul, yeah, and when Paul says the free gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, what, what does it mean that the free gift of Christ, or the free gift of the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, what makes it free? And... And so Paul's going to use a lot of language in the New Testament. And this is fascinating because it's huge implications in this book. You know, it's almost a 600 page book probably is with the footnotes and appendices, but it's, this book is going to go into great detail about how depending on how you define what the word grace means and what you think about what a gift, what gift, what you assume about gift giving and receiving is actually a source of a lot of the disagreements in church history about justification, about grace, and about God's relationship to man. It's really good stuff. Wow, that is deep. Yeah, so we're going to get into that a little bit today. I am trying to like process 
even what you just recited. So here's I, so, so let's go back to the simple question. Even leaving God out of this, what does it mean that a gift is free? I would think, okay, the example I would give here when I think of that is you pull up to a red light and there's somebody there that's apparently homeless with the sign and I give them money or I give them food or I, whatever it is that's in my car. Yep. In that scenario, I don't necessarily have any expectation of them. Yep. I'm going to drive away. I'll, I'll, I'll never yeah, you're, so you're expecting nothing in return. Yes. And that's what makes it free. Yes. But then I also question my intent of like, I don't know if this is Catholic. I, I don't think this is approved scenario, but like the karma involved with giving that there is an intent. Like I'm sure. going to give this, I'm not going to get anything necessarily in return from him or her, uh-huh. but subconsciously or in the back of my mind, I'm like, somehow this will come back and, and, in this life, I will be rewarded for that. So I just want you all to know that we did not talk about this before today's podcast. And you literally just said everything I want you to say. Yes. It's, it's almost as if I just pulled like a Jedi mind trick on you. Yep. And you just, you just gave exactly the answer I like totally wanted you to give. Do you think you can carry the rest of the podcast by yourself? Because I am leaving now. Yeah, d- mic drop. Right? <laughs> you always tell me that you're tired of carrying the load the whole time. That's right. Yeah. So thank you for yeah. finally picking it up. I'm trying. I am yeah. excited to hear that because, yeah. I, and again, literally right before this, you, you pulled out the book. You're like, what about this? And I was so intrigued by the title. But that is kind of my one example of like, you know, it's one thing when it's a close friend, but another one where it's like zero or even if you're going to go feed the homeless or you're going to do, you know, like at the food line, any of that kind of stuff. It's like, okay. And how often, this is another one for me. Like how often do you go based on who else is going to be there? Like the, on the surface, I'm going to go feed the right. homeless, but also like the intent of like, okay, I'm going to go to be seen. Yes. Yeah, Totally. This is very much related to what this book is about. Oh, so, so how does, yeah, okay. So take me back in time. How did, how was it? So here, before we do that, so, um, so the answer you kind of gave is very much. And so a lot of the way we think about, we have this idea of the pure gift is what, um, Barclay shows and the pure gift is what you just described. The pure gift, it means there's no expectation of return I'm just doing it out of the sheer goodness of my heart. And uh, I'm really not, I'm just not going to get anything out of it. And we're going to get to some some more kind of distinctions on this in a second. But this all begins with Luther. Ooh. I mean, it, it goes back further than that, actually. If you really want to trace it to its real origins, it really goes back all the time to Augustine. Augustine does a lot with this. And even there's, you could trace it back pretty much to the prayer at the beginning of time. But Augustine's a big starting point for this. Uh, Barclay talks about uh, texts that are prior to the time of Christ, some Second Temple Judaism texts, um, and kind of analyzes it. But anyway, but for our purposes, we're going to talk a little bit about Luther. And so Luther's really obsessed with this question of how do I, um, how do I find a good and gracious God? Is one of the questions Luther has. And he, a long circuitous route leads Luther to this place of God has to be the one who expects nothing in return. And this traces its way through the modern world and different thinkers and philosophers take that idea and run. So for instance, Immanuel Kant. And then the one I want to zero in on is Jacques Derrida, which is kind of fun to say. What a terrible name. Yes. Probably not in France. If you live in No, France, it's probably rad, but... You don't want to be the kid and you're in kindergarten and they're like, okay, let's go around and learn everybody else's name and spelling. Well, Jacques is like Jack, I assume, in French. Probably, but how do you spell it? Well, you know, because you're looking at the book. I'm not not looking at his name right now, but the way he spells Jacques is J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. Gosh, that would be (laughs) terrible. Anyway, so Derrida, so he's a famous postmodern thinker. He's someone we would not like much in Catholic circles, although he's worth, you know, well, I don't, no caveats. 
so Derrida says this. Um, so, uh, and this is Barclay commenting. He says, Derrida considers that the gift on the one hand necessarily operates within a circular economy characterized by return and obligation, right? So this is the casserole debt. Yep. Um, but on the other hand, in his view, what makes it gift as opposed to economic exchange. So what makes it mean a gift and not just economic exchanges is that it does not come back. Okay. So hang with me. So, so Derrida is saying, if, if I give you a cash roll and you're going to give me one back, that's an, that's an economic exchange. It's not a gift. Okay. So Derrida says it must not circulate. It must not be exchanged. Pushing this thought to its logical limits, Derrida insists that any kind of return will destroy or annul the gift. Since, and here's, here's the final kind of conclusion of this, since the gift is both necessarily engaged in circularity, meaning there's a return, and, destroy, and, and circularity destroys the idea of a gift, this makes the gift the impossible. Not just impossible, but the very figure of the impossible, as Derrida says. And thus, an essential tool with which to clarify the indeterminate openness characteristic of deconstruction, which is a philosophical movement. Um, so here's what I'm getting at. Derrida says it's actually humanly impossible to give a gift. Because that guy on the street, even if you'll never see him again, right? Like you, you drive off, you all, he's, Derrida says you always get something out of it. Yeah. And so therefore, get something or want, like you want something out, like either or, but, okay. but, you, but you're okay. going to get something he's going to say. Yep. So you'll, even if it's just like, wow, I listened to my conscience and I did what I thought was right, even though I didn't want to, or other people saw me or, um, God was pleased with my action, whatever it might be. So Derrida ends in this place and he says, gift giving is actually impossible. And so we, we live in this, uh, this culture that's been affected by Luther's, what Luther really took to the next level where we think a gift is better because it's not going to be returned. And here's the thing. The ancient world totally disagrees with that. Really? Yeah. So he quotes a whole bunch of authors on this, but the one he probably talks about the most is Seneca. Okay. And so I think I left a quote from Seneca. Let's see. Did I, um, so here's just a description. It says, uh, unlike Derrida, Seneca does not perfect the gift as in principle unreciprocated while he regards the material return. while he, I'm sorry. While he disregards the material return, he wants the gift to create reciprocal relationships of goodwill and gratitude. Ooh. And so in the ancient world, and he quotes a whole bunch of people, but Seneca's one of them is that, the reciprocity of gifts, even though it can be, it can be corrupted, right? It's in the, the classic example is like corrupt judges. Yep. You get a quid pro quo. Hey, I'll give you this chicken. You rule for me in this case. Yep. Yep. It can corrupt, but in a world, if you imagine a world where there's no reciprocity, what the ancient people's thought is that gift giving life is, a, is about exchanging gifts. And what it does is it creates social bonds it creates family. Um, it, it binds people together. Wow. Yeah. It kind of goes back to your saying of all boats rise together. You like you're creating place. good. <laughs> you're creating good in the community. Like it's not about yeah. a one up, but it is that exchange of goodness. This is coming from me to you. And then there's and it, but where Luther brings it, if I'm understanding this right, is now all of a sudden it's like, there is no, there should be no gift giving. And In return, at yeah. least. No reciprocity is what Barclay will call it. And, and Ooh, so I understand why we think that. Isn't this fascinating? Yeah. And so if you apply this to God, what Luther does is, yeah, like you might get to a place where you're grateful to God or you're going to give him praise or honor or worship 
or you're going to try to change your life, whatever. And Luther says, nope. He says, God's grace is non-reciprocal. So it's always from start to finish, it's one-sided. And God, and literally God doesn't care if you ever give anything back to him. He's just giving the gift. And so that's, that's Luther. But what Barclay shows is that's not Paul. And by the way, uh, Barclay is not a Catholic. He actually has strong, and he, he says it openly in the book, he has strong tendencies towards Lutheran kind of theology within him. But his own study on this issue says Luther's wrong here. Wow. Yeah. So does this lead, because understanding that perspective, I can see in my, like in my mind how this logically leads to the relation, like where Protestants go to, that it's not about, help me out here, like the argument yeah. of... Yeah, so, so, so I think it comes back to like that question of how, what makes a free gift. Yeah. What makes God's grace free? So Paul doesn't tell us in that passage in Romans 5. There are places he hints at different things, but he doesn't go through this. And I think this is really helpful. So Barclay identifies six, what he calls perfections of grace. But basically what he means here is just aspects of grace. There's six different ways to think about, about grace. Um, so what does he say? If I can find where they're... When okay. was timepiece? Where was when was Seneca? Seneca is a Roman Roughly. thinker. Gosh, I want to say like second, Pre- third century. So post, yeah, Jesus here. Okay, I'm totally something to call. I'm totally gonna get that wrong. I should know that. Totally, but I mean, it was either. He's Mike, an ancient thinker. He's. Um, I think I was just saying like more pre or post. Yeah, I Jesus think Christ. he's post, but I'm probably okay. I'm probably wrong about that. I don't know. Anyway, so, but Barclay gives six. Now this is, I just think this is really interesting to think about in your relationship with other people, but your relationship with God. So Barclay says there's six different perfections. So first one, and we, we're not going to focus in on all these, but it's worth going through them really quickly. First one is what he calls superabundance, which just means it's a, hu- a, a perfect gift. And thinking of God is this huge gift. Mm-hmm. So that's one perfection. So you could push with one aspect to its extreme. That's what it means to perfect. Okay. Okay. Um, singularity. Um, by singularity, he says, I mean, the notion that the giver's sole and exclusive mode of operation is benevolence. So, so singularity means no ulterior motive. Okay. Just out of the goodness of my heart. The third perfection is priority, which means first. It wasn't, nobody else did something to make me give the gift. Priority means I just, I just want to give it. It wasn't because of something else. Okay. Um, four is incongruity, which means that the gift is much greater than the worthiness of the person receiving it. We're going to come mm. back to that one. Uh, fifth is efficacy, which means the gift causes something to happen in the receiver. Who like joy or like an emotional thing. Yeah. Or like, like, let's say you pay for Gianna's college. That's a great gift. What do you want to happen by paying for a college? The cost of education to go down? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would think hopefully that she gets an education. That's right. Yeah. And she's well formed. uh, Formed. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, So that's efficacy. And then lastly is the one we've been talking about, non-circularity. Okay. Which means nothing's returned. So what, what Barclay shows is that different thinkers in history they'll use the word grace and they pretend that everyone thinks of it the exact same way. And they're not really pretending. They just, it's just a blind spot where we kind of pretend we're all, we all are not pretend. We all think we're using the word grace in the same way. What he shows is that some people emphasize a couple of those six aspects of grace and ignore others and others will use different ones. And so we end up actually mean using that word grace in different ways. We mean different things by it. Oh, this kind of goes, it's reminding me of um, your example of love. Sure. When it's translated. Yeah. And the three different forms in Greek yeah, of the, love. The, there's actually four. So yeah. the, the words matter. Yeah, exactly. And, and these aspects of grace. And so different people... 
and what what this book does ultimately is it goes through different thinkers in history. So it'll take Augustine and Luther and then some more modern authors, um, people like E.P. Sanders or um, N.T. Wright, and it'll look at their thought and it'll say, how do they see grace? When they talk about grace, he analyzes their works <clears throat> and, and do they see it? Do they all see it the same way? And what he really shows very convincingly is they all use the word in, in different ways. Whoa. And that if we could all learn to be more uh, precise in the way we use the word grace, we would avoid a lot of misconstruals and misunderstandings. Oh, that's deep. It is. So what I want to talk about is incongruity. Which one was that again? What was your... So incongruity means a gift is given, not based on the worthiness of the person. Okay. So I give a gift and it's not because you're amazing. It's just, it's way beyond anything you could be worthy of. Okay. Okay. So one of the things that Barclay shows is, well, let's just say it this way. Let me give you an example of this. When we think as Christians, we tend to think, oh, of course it's got to be, gifts should be incongruous. But one of the things that Barclay shows is that there's other ways to think of this. And so remember the PPP loan? Yeah. The, what is it? Personal paycheck protection plan or something like that? Yeah. I, I During think. COVID? I yep. So <clears throat> do you think that everyone in America should have gotten the, the, when someone's, when the government's giving that gift, they're going to say, Hey, we're going to, we've got $8 trillion we're sending out or whatever yep. it is. And they say there's, you know, 340 Americans, however many, 340 million Americans. We're going to just divide equally and we're going to send everyone. And that's an incongruous gift because mm. it's not looking at anything in the receiver. Yep. It's just saying, Hey, we're the government and out of the goodness of our heart, we're sending everybody a million. Everyone is, no matter who you are, you're getting a million dollars. How do you feel about that? I see where it's going. I mean, yeah, does, does a rich need it versus do you take the larger sum and divide it among the people actually need it to give a bigger amount? Right. But then it, it, gets, it gets mucky when you take the, the latter part. Yeah. So to answer it, no. I feel like it should go, but then where do you set the, where do you set the line? Yeah, right. So, so this is getting at the heart of this book. And it's really interesting to think about is that gift giving isn't as simple as you think it is. And we, in, in Christian terms, we're used to thinking, oh, it's always better if you just give, you don't even think about who it's going to, you just give freely. Yep. And that's what he really shows is that's, that's a really complex thing to say. Right. So, so another one would be, um, if you have, um, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm struggling to think of gifts, but sometimes, sometimes it would be, it would seem unjust. If I give the same, if, if we have, let's say we have 10 kids at school and here, this, here's a good one. We give, um, awards at Lord's school. Uh, I think it's twice a year we do, um, things where the teachers will hand out awards to kids but it's, they get, they get awards based on their virtue. Yep. And so, you know, the most virtuous kid and the most courageous kid this year gets a certificate, gets a courage award. Shout out Blake Cummer. I think he just, he got that award. Did he get that? Yep. That's awesome. Well, what if, so so we're used to thinking like, oh, we just be generous and not think about who's receiving the gift. What about in that scenario? What if you just gave the courage award indiscriminately to every kid? Becomes a participation award, eighth place trophies. Right. So, you, so the ancient world doesn't think about this the same way we do. The ancient world says it would actually be unjust for you to do that, because the kid who is actually a coward to receive it ruins the gift. Yeah. It actually ruins the gift if you give indiscriminately to everyone. There's supposed to be a certain worthiness of the recipient. And so Seneca and others in the ancient world, when they talk about this, they'll say, if you give gifts to people who are unworthy, 
It actually undermines society. Right? Be- right? Because, and think about the school. This makes sense. If you're like, hey, we're going to reward all behavior indiscriminately. And so everybody gets chocolate bar today. Yeah. We don't want to hurt your feelings, even though you are not, you don't deserve what you're receiving. Yeah, so a lot of ancient thinkers would say, no, you're, you're absolutely supposed to look at the worthiness of the recipient. People who live good lives are the ones who should deserve greater gifts. Ooh. Right? And it also hurts the person. Like, I could not disagree more with participation awards, but I could see how it hurts society and the actual gift itself. But it also, in my opinion, hurts the person receiving it. Yeah. You aren't incentivized to improve. Yeah, exactly. And that's what the ancient world would say, right? It's like, it's better even for, for that person, right? Um, so this, so this is a helpful to, you see how interesting this is? Gosh, now, yeah, I see two ways that this can go that are very deep. Yeah. That I'm, I'm wondering if we're going to get there. Well, you, lead, you can lead the way if you want. Well, is this, could this lead to where ultimately the path <laughs> of like ones. traditionalism and, and the extremes of Catholicism where it's like, I want to be the most worthy. And then it leads to the question of like, does Buddha go to heaven? Yeah. It touches in all these things, doesn't it? I could see how it leads that way. And if I'm yeah. living back then, Luther time and stuff, and I'm very bored in life and I just sit there and contemplate I start to think of, I start to think of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So Luther, right? So what Luther's going to say with this is that if God, so he's going to say God gives completely indiscriminately because otherwise it becomes a form of extraction from God instead of, and so, so wait, wait, the way, so when Luther says grace is free, he's going to say God does not give grace based on anything human at all whatsoever, because otherwise it becomes like an economic exchange. So is that where it leads to that, the acts like acts of Protestant versus Catholicism? It can, this is part of it. Okay. Yeah. And so like, uh, there's, there's some more nuances in there with this, but, uh, yeah, Luther wants to say, Hey, God's going to, God's going to do this no matter what. Now, now think about it this way. So some of us out here, the way we feel about this, one of the common complaints people have about Christianity for who, and honestly like atheists sometimes is they'll say, it's not fair that God just forgives sins because this person did this horrible thing and they just get to go to heaven and I've lived a good life. Right. And so that's, that's another way of looking. Another way of seeing this, right. Is that, can God give the gift of salvation to someone who doesn't deserve it or is, or is much less deserving at least than someone who actually chose to live a good life. That's not fair. Right. And see, I I've heard lots of people complain about that before. I had a professor in college at CU one time who was an ex Catholic. She was from Eastern Europe. I forget which country she was from, but she said she talked to me after class one day cause she could tell I was a strong Catholic I was probably broadcasting it like crazy in those days. But she said, she was like, I don't like the Catholic church. I left because she said, it's not fair. Catholics think they can just go to confession and then everything's good. And she's like, that's not just, it's not fair. Uh, I know these, these are deep waters, but this is where it goes back to like, if you're an atheist though, and you're looking at that, you're trying to play in a sandbox, but you ultimately don't, believe in God, right? Like you're trying to redefine the rules and therefore negating it. Yeah. Uh, well, but people yeah. don't always think that clearly and logically. But, right, 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 right. But it, so, so here's where, we're, so what Luther lands on and this, I think this is really fascinating. So Luther gets to this place, um, where God has to be, uh, free for him means prior, which Catholics would agree with God's grace always goes first. Um, Luther would say God's grace is incongruous. So it doesn't look, it's, it's kind of like the PPP loan. If the PPP loan and the PPP is, I guess I'm saying that if that loan 
uh, we're totally indiscriminate and it's just goes to everybody regardless of how wealthy you are, how poor you are. It's just the same for everybody. Luther thinks that, uh, but the biggest, and then the biggest one is non-circularity is that the gift is given. It's, it accomplishes that's efficacy. It accomplishes what it was sent to do. And then, uh, it doesn't matter what you do after that because God's grace and his gift is not dependent on how you live. So for our own lives and where the Catholic church really stands on this. And it's always, I love it when Protestant authors really endorse Catholic positions <laughs> and Barclay doesn't on everything. There are, there are points where he makes it very clear that he disagrees with the Catholic church on certain things, but by and large in this book, he really adopts Catholic position is he says, okay, where does St. Paul, so with this matrix of these six different areas, how does Paul think of grace and gift? And he analyzes Romans and Galatians, which are the two most common letters of Paul where he talks about grace. And what he shows is that, so Paul does believe in priority, which shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody. Right. So, so in the casserole debt exchange, in the casserole exchange, God's the one who starts it. Right. So he doesn't, he doesn't owe us anything. Right. It wasn't that we gave God a gift. And so then he did, he had to kind of follow suit. God is prior. He has priority. He starts. And so his grace comes first. Um, one that is that Paul really, and that God, and this is really what happens with God, that it really is, there's a nuance here, but really is different from what a lot of the ancients thought should happen is that God's grace really is um, incongruous. So this is what I, the point we've been getting at with, is it right to give the same gift equally to everyone? Yep. God does in terms of grace. He will pour it out on everyone, initially at least. And here's where the Catholic kind of nuance would come in. You can't do anything to be loved by God. You're already, you're loved. You are loved. Yep. Uh, and, but here's where Barclay so the third one that's really critical for us here today and for Catholics and really it should be for everybody is that Barclay against his own kind of, I think proclivities Barclay shows though, that Luther was wrong about non-circularity meaning so th this is what it all means. God's grace always comes first. It's given freely to anyone and everyone. Yep. You could be the worst sinner. And that's, again, a lot of Catholics out there, we think we have to earn God's grace, which the church has never taught. This is good news. It's good news. If you are, uh, you just kind of down on yourself, you've got, you know, there's an old Christian song that's kind of tacky. It said, I've got a couple of dents in my fender or something like that. Right. You got some scratches on your car. You've got, you know, you got a past. Guess what? God doesn't care. He gives his grace to everyone kind of indiscriminately. But what Barclay shows is that that grace though demands a response in, in scripture very clearly. So the initial gift is totally given irregardless of how you live. But what that gift does do is it impels us to change. And that's, and so, so Luther is used to saying, nope, it's totally, it's totally free. And in, in his way of speaking means doesn't matter what you do, how you live after this is totally free. Nothing you can do can condition the gift. Barclay shows that Paul doesn't think that way. Paul says, Hey, the gift's given to everyone, but it's, but it's like, so think again, Gianna. So let's say you and Steph have eight girls. Oh, right. <laughs> which yep. I hope I pray for every day. Yeah. Do you guys yeah. have eight <laughs> girls and you know, you send the first two off to college. They do great. You know, you send them off and you know, you and Steph win the lottery and you're like, Hey, we're going to pay for college for all you girls. So you send them off to college and they're your daughters. You love all of them. You're going to pay for all of them to go to college. But girl number seven gets to college. We'll call her Brianna. <laughs> And Brianna goes out to college and she's flunking out. She's partying like crazy. Um, 
you might have a consequence for that. Yeah, for sure. Right. And this is the Catholic, this is where Barclay really shows that this is kind of how the church understands it. And he does, he's not talking as a Catholic, but that's how grace works in, in the divine economy is that God's grace, he'll send you to college. He loves you and he's going to pay for your college, but it binds you to live a certain way. And so there are consequences if you go off to Boulder and, you know, you're living the football life. Send it. Yeah. You're, you're living the football life. You're sending it. There are consequences in that. And so the, so grace, there is a reciprocity and um, God also can do both at the same time. His grace can be completely um, indiscriminate about who it goes out to. And it can also be discriminant that once that grace has been given to everybody, you know, the anybody who wants it, then the way you live matters after that though. I hope I can articulate this well. I feel like that's a big misconception of the church in my experience of especially my closest friends that are not Catholic, where it is like you look at it as you have to go to confession, you have to earn all these things to be right in the eyes of God. Yeah. But what's different now that I try to live it is yes, I have to go to confession or I want to go to confession and should and all the above. Um, but it's less about confessing and, and trying to just earn this thing where it's the church's teaching on the virtues that you are aspiring to actually lead to the happiness in life. And, and becoming a better person. Yep. So it's not about just being a good person. It is giving you a roadmap to get there. Yep. That's right. And so, and so God's grace is always meant to, for our good, of course. Uh, but we have freedom. We really do. And so Luther, for instance, he wants to say, so at that college example, he wants to say if, if, if grace is contingent on anything, it's not free. So if you tell your daughters, hey, we're paying for you to go to college, but you, we expect you, you know, you don't have to be perfect, but we expect you to kind of behave yourself and we expect you to actually take it seriously. Luther would say that's no longer free. It's no longer a gift because it's contingent on them behaving a certain way. Yeah. And the New Testament disagrees with Luther. Luther was wrong on this. And, the, and the, so the Catholic teaching is that. It's that, hey, you want to go to college? God's grace is there. The gift is, the gift is, is free in that sense, but it's binding. Yeah. And that's, and that, and that's good. It should be binding because, and in the ancient world, right. And think about that. We've all seen parents where if it continues to be in that sense that we don't care what you do and we're just going to give you money out your yep. nose, no yep. matter what happens, that's not good for them. That's right. That's a bad parent. Yep. And so God's a good father and grace is, this is how it works. Is it, it, it engenders a casserole debt. <laughs> it means and, and the reason God wants it to be a casserole debt is because that puts us in relationship to him and it's for our good and it binds us closer together. Oh, yeah. So, and this, this is kind of where it's always like, I feel like, um, the non-Christian way of thinking or even like across the board where there's those arguments of like free choice and like the abortion thing and, and all that stuff. It's like, well, we just want to live our life. And it, once you start to kind of poke arguments, especially in Boulder, they crumble so quick, mm. but on the surface, they seem to work so well. Mm. And when I think of the Luther example, the PPP loan, where it's like, okay, I get it. You spread out the wealth and then you could kind of poke hole in that. But the next step would be like, okay, what if society lived that way where it's like everything was spread? Yeah. And it, it seems appealing at first. And I started to think in my head of like, okay, imagine if a company took its overall revenue and divided it Equally. evenly yeah. among everybody. Right. That ultimately will lead, it, it will to the point of Seneca and everybody else previously, create laziness. Like it will yeah. hurt society yeah. as opposed to if it's merit-based. Yep. Would elevate the game. So whether that's gifts or how like, you know, good actual casserole and then you want to make a better one and it's, you know, you're not trying to one up an ulterior motive, but it, I could see 
how to the Luther perspective on the surface, it sounds appealing. And if you don't actually dive into that and, and eventually, okay, you live that way, you'll see the repercussions. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. Oh. We, we got to go cause I got to get to the bank. Uh, Hopefully they'll give me some free gifts. That's right. There. I don't know. That you can divide it. among your employees. Banks are like the, the last <laughs> places on earth you'll ever get a free gift. Banks are just uh, ruthless. Uh, yeah. um, wow. Okay. There's, that's a lot to think about on that one. I may be coming back to you with that. All right, peeps. I so rejoice, rejoice in God's grace. It is freely given, but it does obligate you. It does bind you. It brings you into relationship with him where you're called to live a different kind of life. Um, kind of, yeah, we could go through more examples, but I think you get the point. Thanks for listening. Miss Yaniff, we love you. We're glad you <laughs> didn't have a heart attack last time I scared you. Probably the only time. Hope you're at Lord's for many years to come. And, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, okay. Email us like <laughs> always rant at lordsdenver.org. FB and I've been talking about, and I want to just say this really quick. At some point, trying to do like a, a live show, whether that's Instagram Live or Facebook, we don't have a Gregorian Rant page. But if it was on Lord's website or something, to be interactive and answer your questions, but this is kind of a litmus test of let us know if that's of interest. Email us um, and potentially we would do it. I think that'd be really fun be great if we had an audience. It'd be really awkward if we get on there and we are not getting any questions or interaction. So My mom will come. That's right. I can make Steph go. Yeah. And Gianna. And we can make stuff, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, thank you. All right. Peace out. We'll Cup talk scout. soon.